I'm going to see a video clip now, something that you'll recognise. You've all seen it before, I'm sure, but a few years ago. So just sit back and watch and listen. And you'll be forgiven for laughing at me. <laughs> I don't deserve on him because I am upper class. I am up to him because he is upper class. But I look down on him because he is lower class. <laughs> I am middle class. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> I look up to him, but I don't look up to him as much as I look up to him. Because <laughs> he has got an age breeding. I have got an age breeding, but I have not got any money. <laughs> Sometimes I look up. To him. I still look up to him because although I have money, I'm bold. <laughs> and I'm not as bold as him, so I still look down on him. I know my place. <laughs> I look up to them both. But while I'm poor, I'm industrious, honest, and trustworthy. And I knew an agent and I could have done them. <laughs> but I don't. We all know our place, but what do we get out of it? I get a feeling of superiority over them. I get a feeling of inferiority from him. But a feeling of superiority over him. I get a pain in the back of my neck. <laughs>
priesthood enter the outer sanctuary after all of this, where he would offer the incense, then he would trim the lamps, you know, the lamps were kept burning all the time, so someone had to care for them. And it was at this time that the worshippers would probably have their own private prayers to God. Now, does that with you strike a chord like it did with me? Think to the story of Zachariah. He went, he was the priest that was chosen at that time to go in and offer the incense and trim the lamps. And he was a long time, wasn't he? They probably got to the end of their prayers and started again and got to the end again before Zachariah came out. He thought he'd been a long time, which he had, because an angel of God had been speaking to him about he and Elizabeth having John the Baptist. So the people that Jesus was telling this story to probably thought, oh yes, yes, I know what's happening here. Jesus always used familiar things to tell his stories, so they would be very familiar with all of this. So here we are in Jesus' story, and the stage is set. And in a way we've got the Pharisee taking centre stage. Although he's standing a little bit by himself, he doesn't want to be defiled by others. He's above everyone else. Now in fairness to him, if he had been defiled by touching someone that he shouldn't have done, he would have had to go through a great cleansing process. <clears throat> His training, you see, really left no place for seeing why these laws had been given. We would probably say he'd been brainwashed. So he stood alone and he prayed aloud. That was another Jewish custom, to pray aloud. Maybe he thought he was giving some some good advice as he prayed. And I think we've all, all probably heard a little bit of a sermon hidden in the prayer time. <clears throat> he thanks God that he's not like other men. He's not a commoner, he's not a labourer, he's not a land worker. He's not someone who doesn't keep the law. In the first century, Judaism prayers included confession of sin, thanks for all of God's provision, and petition for themselves and others. Well, we're familiar with this, aren't we? But the Pharisees' prayer didn't fall into any of these categories. There was no confession, there was no thanks, no request for help. Presumably he felt he didn't need God's help. He was quite self-sufficient. His prayer simply consisted of telling God about all his good points. He built himself up into this very virtuous person. While he's doing this, he's virtually denouncing this poor tax collector and all of these others that he mentioned. He compares himself with those he looks down on. He doesn't compare himself with God at all. And he tells God he fasts twice a week. And he gives tithes on everything. That was far more than he was required to do by the law. 
Who is he trying to impress? Maybe he's trying to impress God, but God knows what's on the inside. Never mind all of these other things. So we've got this Pharisee and tax collector standing in front of the great Iota, on which a perfect lamb had just been sacrificed for the sins of Israel. However, the tax collector is a little way off. <coughs> he listens to the trumpets blowing, the cymbals clashing, he hears the song being read, he watches the blood being splashed and sprinkled, he watches as the priest goes deeper into the temple courts to offer the incense, <coughs> and he watches as the priest comes out, and he listens as the priest tells them that the sacrifice has been accepted <coughs> and the sin of Israel has been washed away. We've heard the Pharisees pray. So now what about the tax collector? What is his prayer? Our translations say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But this text doesn't use the common Greek word for mercy. In the classical Greek translation made in the Middle East reads, Oh God, make atonement for me. I think this fits very well with someone so distraught over their sin that they're beating their chest as they pray. He's crying to God, literally crying. He knows he needs forgiveness. And he prays a very heartfelt personal prayer. As he comes close to God, he becomes aware of all of his shortcomings. And I don't know what you find, but I find this, this is what happens with me. The closer I walk with the Lord, the more I see what's wrong. When I first became a Christian, I thought it was fine. I, I wasn't so aware of things that are wrong in my life that I am now. So one man goes to the temple to worship, feeling very confident with his pious attitudes and achievements. And he thinks this is going to make him righteous. This is going to keep him right with God. The other man, the tax collector, feels his sin is so great and he can hardly believe that a lamb could possibly atone for his sin. What a contrast between these two men, one full of pride in himself, the other very humble. One stands by himself so as not to, to touch another person. One stands at a distance, feeling unworthy to be there. One focusing on self, the other focusing on what God would do. One went home justified, the other didn't. So what's this all saying to us today, all these centuries later? <clears throat> we live in a world that's constantly competing and comparing, don't we? I was going to say it starts in school, I think it starts even before that. Some mums are, are very 
precious about how quickly their baby talks, how quickly their baby walks. Generally with the first one, by the second and third, you know that they're all different and that they were at their own time. But sometimes the, the comparing and competing starts very early on. And it goes on, doesn't it? We talk about, oh, somebody's got a good job, or someone's son or daughter's just landed a fantastic job. Oh, someone's got a, a, bought a really big house, a bigger house. Someone's got a great big car down the street. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? But you know, life isn't a competition. Both these men that we looked at in this story needed God's mercy. And they were both equally loved by God. And whether we've got a big house, or a little house, or a, a big car, or a bike, God loves us all the same, and we all need his mercy. In our reading from Joel, we heard how faithful God is. And how he will pour out his spirit on all people, sons and daughters, young and old, servants, men and women, everybody. And he gives gifts to everybody. Lots and lots of different gifts. You'll have heard many servants on the various gifts. But they're not just for the one that, that receives them, they're for everyone. So if someone in this congregation has a gift of healing, it's for all of you. Isn't that great? If someone has the gift of prophecy, it's for all of you. That's great. It's for everyone. I don't think this Pharisee really knew God. He seems to have taken no notice of what was said in Joel. Oh, he knew the law that God had given to Moses, plus all those extra bits that the Jewish religious leaders had added. He observed it in a way, but there was so much that he missed. He missed the love of God, the joy of loving others. It was all so rigid and formal for him. We can see from his prayer that he feels he can earn God's love and acceptance. He feels that by his own works, God will love him and he will be righteous. The tax collector, however, just knows that he's got to throw himself on God's mercy <clears throat> and he's the one who goes away feeling justified. <clears throat> Now I know this is just a story, but it's a very powerful story nonetheless. As I said, it reminds us that life isn't a competition. It's a journey. It's a journey with God, getting to know him more and more. Not more about him. We can get to know a lot more about God, reading, but then that just makes it an academic exercise. We need to journey with God to get to know Him, walking more closely with Him each day, tuning into Holy Spirit so much more readily and learning to trust what we hear from Him. 
We, like both the Pharisee and the tax collector, need God's mercy. We all have days, don't we, when we feel that following the Lord is relatively easy. Things are going well. We've got to be very careful on those days that we don't fall into a kind of smugness, a bit like the Pharisee was in. And then there's the days when everything is an uphill struggle. We don't seem to be able to hear the Lord speaking to us. All we can do is cry out for help. And you know the amazing and wonderful thing is, he's always there, just waiting for that call. I think like in so many of Jesus' stories, we can identify ourselves in them, in the characters that are portrayed. Can you see yourself anywhere in this story? <clears throat> Do we sometimes fall into the trap of thinking God will love us more? If we do things that please him, you know, if we follow the rules, and we do pop little rules in, rules of our own, don't we? Do we stand at a distance, feeling unworthy of his love, when we feel we haven't come up to the mark? Well, neither of these attitudes should really be ours. God's love cannot be earned. It's completely and utterly free. And it's his desire that we accept it wholeheartedly and without any reserve. <clears throat> we don't need to stand at a distance. God our Father doesn't see us as unworthy. He looks at us the way he looks at Jesus. And I don't think Jesus is so bothered about us breaking rules as he is about broken relationships, either with him or with each other. So let's really learn to live in his love and acceptance. Because if we don't, we're really saying that we just don't believe what God says. We are children of the Creator of this whole universe. Like the little fellow in the, the sketch, we could see, we know our place. We are children of God. We are adopted into His family. So let us, with humility, stand tall in all that we are in Jesus. Let us live in the amazing inheritance that we have. Don't let us turn our backs on it and forget about it. <clears throat> Don't let us waste anything of this amazing inheritance we have.